0: Good morning, my name is Kathy Connor, I'm one of the pastors at First Pres, and I'm so glad that you're here this morning. The Super Bowl just infuses the air with expectation, doesn't it? Well I want to invite you to spend the next hour with a heightened sense of expectation that God who created you wants to speak to you, he wants to encourage you to help you and to heal you. If you're new to First Pres, welcome. We're so glad you're here. And we want you to know that we're here to serve you in any way that we can. We are about building real relationships, doing life together, helping you go deeper in your relationship with Jesus, or discovering what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. If you would, please fill out the Connect card on our website after worship, which you can also access by scanning this QR code. It will take you directly to the card, enabling us to serve you well, to pray for you, to help you get connected into a life group, and so much more. Please also share this service on Facebook so that other people can be a part of this worship service this morning. If you're worshiping with us online, this is the perfect moment to go and grab some juice, water, milk, cookies, crackers, whatever you have, so that we can share in communion together. Please pray with me now. Heavenly Father, we have come with a sense of expectation for sure about the bucks. We really want them to win, Lord. But more than that, more importantly, arouse in us a sense of expectation that you are present and your presence is powerful. And that means, Lord, that you are indeed at work in our lives in ways that we can't even imagine. I just ask, Lord, that if anyone in here this morning is just hurting, or discouraged, or just feeling alone, overwhelmed, whatever we are, thank you, God, that you say, come as you are, and then you begin to speak into our life. Help us to leave this place, having been filled up by you in such a way that we're different. Help us to accept the transformation that you are seeking to make in our lives. Let it matter to us that we have family members and friends who are not near to you, who don't even know you yet, don't know that they are treasured and loved by you, God. We ask that you would draw them in. And Lord, I also think about what's going on in our city, in the darkest corners, even around and surrounding the stadium itself, women who are being exploited in the sex industry. I specifically ask, Father, that your light would shine into those places and that you would win the battle for their hearts and you would protect them and save them and rescue each one of them. Jesus, this morning we know that we need you and so we humble ourselves before you as we ask in prayer for Doug Tuttle that he would have successful back surgery this coming week. We pray for Kim Muller-Reed as she recovers from her surgery, Jesus. We pray for Matthew Snook and his family in the loss of his father this week. And we pray for Roger Pierce's Aunt Kit who is struggling with pneumonia and for his mom as she cares for her sister. We also lift up Bill Crowder to you in the loss of his beloved wife, Anne. Lord, surround these friends of ours with your loving arms. Help them to receive the comfort that you long to give to them. And help us now to receive everything that you long to give to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Good morning, First Pres. Let's stand up. Let's worship on this glorious day.
0: Wednesday is the moment that helps us begin our journey with Jesus to the cross and to his resurrection on Easter Sunday morning. For centuries, followers of Jesus have used this time between Ash Wednesday and Easter Sunday morning to do self-reflection, self-examination, to admit to God, I'm wrong, I've done wrong. The Ash Wednesday service this year will be at Wright's Gourmet on Wednesday, February 17th. It's just 30 minutes long from 630 to 7pm. Your whole family is invited to come. We just ask that you register to bring everybody and you can even order food ahead of time and enjoy a meal together as you go into the Ash Wednesday service with us. In first Timothy chapter 6, Paul said this, do good, be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share. Well, church, you are doing good. You are rich in good works. You are generous and you are always ready to share in all the ways that you have been giving back to God I pray that you know how much it pleases the heart of God. Here are five ways to give that you can continue to honor Him and love His people really well.
1: Let's stand. your mercy never fails me all my days I've been held in your arms
2: I can't believe it. I'm in blue jeans, red socks, and a Bucks t-shirt. It's about the third time I've worn it. Tonight. Yeah, tonight. I can't see you at home. I can see the folks in the room, but you're all wearing red stuff too, I hope. Not Kansas City red either. So anyway, Bucks. Now just reminding you of a few important things. The game tonight is 6.30, right? And the Bucks are playing for the second time in the Super Bowl. This is Brady's 10th. He's played in nine. He's six and three. Brady is tonight. If he wins, if we win, it'll be his seventh. Seven out of eleven. Wait, seven, He's six and three. Yeah, seven out of ten. So whatever. Uh, Brady. Brady. Just let's go back to two thousand and five. You with me? Two thousand and five. February sixth. Jacksonville. Whatever they call their stadium, Altel or something like that. Brady and the Patriots beat the Eagles twenty-four to twenty-one and after, it was his third ring. He was at the time, what he still is now, incredibly athletic. Many women would say he's handsome at the time he wasn't married. He's healthy, he's young, he's handsome. He's at the apex of all professional performance. And he's won three more, so that's why we call him the GOAT, G-O-A-T. For those of you who aren't following, greatest of all time. And oh, by the way, if you go over on the Davis Islands today, you'll see yard signs that say, the GOAT lives in my neighborhood, go Bucks. They're everywhere. We, well, I'm such a tourist. I drove by his house yesterday afternoon. <laughs> so Brady beats the Eagles for his third, and he, got, he was interviewed by Steve Croft of, of 60 Minutes CBS after, after the, sometime after the game. And there he is sitting there. looks a little young compared to today, and he was single. And here's what Tom Brady, handsome, young, rich, healthy, educated, I mean just hitting on every possible cylinder that all of us admire and respect. Here is what Tom Brady said in that interview. You can go look at it on YouTube yourself, it's just a minute and a half long. He said this, why do I have, and he wasn't upset, it was his emotional fl- uh, flavor when he was saying it was, was calm, he wasn't in a, in a bad mood or a discouraged mood, but he said these words and he meant them. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? And then he pauses and he says something like this. Maybe a lot of people would say to me, hey, hey, man, this is what it's all about. I've reached my goal, my dream, my life. And he said, but me, I think, God, there's got to be more than this. Steve Croft says, What's the answer? Brady says back with a smile twice, I wish I knew. The goat. Now, this Tom Brady appears to me to not be anything like in any kind of existential funk. He's fine but he was also asking a really powerful question. And maybe you've been there, maybe you focused all your time and energy on some really laudable goal, an accomplishment, education or work or family or children, whatever. And you get there and you go, is that all there is? And he's scratching his head, wondering, thinking there must be more. And for him, there there has been more, (laughs) three more. And he's married and he has kids and he's even more wealthy and he's still handsome, he's still young and he's still athletic. It's ridiculous how good he is still. God, there's got to be more than this. Maybe you've been there in your own way. And so what we thought we would do is we thought we would join arms with the great apostle Paul. Asking this question about contentment. What is real contentment? What is authentic contentment? genuine contentment and how can we know it and how can we be people who live that way with the kind of question that Mr. Brady asked maybe having some substance to the answer what is it all about and so we're this the sea that says a journey through Philippians so a Philippian is a person who lives in Philippi just to get started and Philippi is a little city it's the ruins of this city are still there I found them on a Google map yesterday I did a literally you know those cool maps where you can see stuff I found the ruins in another Greek city in the northern part of Greece and so Philippi is a city and it Paul started a church there and then what the, this Philippians is a letter now we call it a book but it's really not a book it's a letter he writes a letter to these friends of his to whom he introduced Jesus and they started some of them following Jesus and the next thing you know there's this collection of people in Philippi who are a Christian gathering, a Christian assembly. Paul's the one that started it and so he writes to them and in it he writes this verse and we're going to call it the key verse, it's really verses, two verses. This is in the, the last chapter, four small chapters in this letter. And so the last chapter has these verses, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. You will find some of it to be highly familiar, but perhaps some of it not. Paul writes this to them as he's finishing up this letter to them. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Sounding like Brady, I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. I want to know the secret. I want you to want to know the secret. Paul says he's found it. I know the secret. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. And before we read the next line, which many of us are familiar with, let me just remind you. Paul is writing this letter to his friends who are now followers of Jesus in the city, Philippi. He's in jail. He's in the crossbar hotel. Paul has been thrown in the slammer unfairly, no trial, no arrest. Uh, Yes, arrest, no charges, just thrown in jail. Paul's in jail, and in jail, in that first century world, you get thrown in jail, you're on your own. The only way you eat is someone brings food to you. And so what's happened is these friends found out he was in the slammer, this is a month or years or whatever, after he had met them the first time, they send some money back. It's several hundred miles to get from Philippi Philippi back to the west where he's in jail. Paul's in jail. He's in jail. He's innocent. And he writes these words, I know what it is to be content in all circumstances. And when he says, when I'm hungry, he means hungry. Because in the jail unless the money gets there and somebody's there to buy the food you don't eat and that when they lock you up if you die of starvation they didn't care. That's what Paul says and then verse 13 I can do all things secret of contentment I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's the kind of verse you put on a coffee cup right I, it, I'll give it to you in Greek panta escuo. Into I can do all, th- I've memorized it and say it over and over and over in Greek and I see the Greek letters and I'm doing my own translating but it says I can do all things through the one who strengthens me and we substitute in Christ because the word Christ isn't in the text, it's who Paul's talking about, the whole letter is about Jesus. The whole letter is about Jesus, there's something about Paul's relationship to Jesus that you and I want to understand better, that's the secret that unlocks contentment. And we even get a better idea if we listen carefully to Paul, what he means when he talks about contentment. I've learned the secret of having a lot, of having very little, of being hungry, being well-fed. I've learned the secret. How can I be content with life right now while I'm innocently incarcerated? I've learned it and it's through Jesus. I can do this because Jesus is inside me, strengthening me, he says. I told you that it was a letter, and it was also important for us to understand that it was a letter, but there was no email, there was no book industry, there were no copy machines. There was one copy of the letter, and later on over the years, people would copy the letter and copy of the copies. But what happens is Paul's in jail, he writes the letter, one of his friends delivers it to them and then they gather together and they read it out loud over and over and over again. I'm going to suggest to you that you read this letter out loud as as you work your way through the next six or seven or eight Sundays with us. Read it not just this way but out loud. Read it with someone out loud with each other. Read it over and over again out loud. I'm going to give you, when I finish, a concrete assignment to read out loud and exactly how much to read, but we'll wait. Hold until that. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what Paul is saying. A few things just to remind you about Paul. I have said about Paul that he's the senior vice president of sales and marketing for the Christian movement and I want to to say a little more about that. Well, I think one of the words that might be familiar with this is missionary. What that means is I'm here, I go there, and I do things to help people. And he was sort of a missionary, but here is what really Paul is. A church planter. And what do I mean by that? Paul lives in the eastern Mediterranean, shot out of a cannon rocket, type A driven, to tell everybody he can possibly tell about Jesus. The God of the universe has become a human being and you can know him and he loves you and he lived and died and lived again for you. So Paul makes his way all the way across what's left of Asia, which is modern-day Turkey, crosses that little strait and gets into Greece, which is Europe. And he gets to this little town, Philippi, Paul does, and he starts talking to people about Jesus. They've never, they don't have any idea about even this thing about one God. They're all pantheists. What I mean by that is, in the Greek world, the way they thought about the meaning of life in the universe is, you had a God who was the God of the sun, and one of the moon, and one of fertility, and one of the rivers, and and on and on. And So, pantheon, a whole arena of gods, and those gods were fickle, random, unpredictable, and oftentimes out to get you. And so the, the average human being in that, in that world at that time was trying to figure out the meaning of the universe. And they thought, yes, there's a God. And then they, tr- they do the best they could. And Paul comes and says, oh, no, we know him. We know what he's like. He loves us. His name is Jesus. And all kinds of different people all over wherever Paul went started saying, really? And they listened. And he'd say, yes. And then he'd say, the way this works is you surrender everything you are in your life, your loyalty, your heart, everything to him. You begin to be his apprentice. You begin to be his follower. You begin to do what he tells you to do. And then he'd write these letters to help encourage them. And that's what he's doing with these folks at Philippi. He's just writing a letter saying, I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know that you can get through this. You can hang on. You'll make it. You can do it because Jesus is the one inside you, the strength. It wasn't easy being a follower of Jesus. They had no buildings. They had no governmental appreciation. In fact, the reason Paul's in the slammer back in Ephesus is because he won't shut up talking about Jesus. In those days, in some cities, the Roman, Philippi was a Roman colony. You start talking about Jesus and being the king too much, the the emperor's going to hear about it and is not going to be happy. There's one king, I'm it and you don't be talking about any other king into the slammer you go it was dangerous in some ways being a Christian so Paul is saying that and all these really different kinds of people become followers of Jesus and they become after becoming followers of Jesus they start doing fun stuff together good stuff together singing like we do praying like we do having the Lord's Supper like we do reading scripture and talking about it what we do they start doing that and guess what you have a church and see, I would say that if, as church planters go, Paul is the goat. He's the greatest of all time. You know what Brady says his favorite Super Bowl is? When? The next one. Oh, oh, oh you got to like that. And see, that was, that's what Paul would say. His favorite church that he planted? The next one. Off he goes. So, Philippi... Ephesus, Corinth, Thessalonica, all these towns where he goes to and he's talking others. The movement grows quickly and others got out also. Paul wasn't the only one. But he was the first real church planter and he was the goat. And that's what Paul was doing. And so he's out trying to help people understand why it is that all of what he says about life, that is contentment, is centered around Jesus. He's wanting to say it's not about me. Friends, I'm here, to, I'm here to give you, maybe this is a shock to you. You are not the center of the universe. I'm not the center of the universe. I'm not even the center of my universe. And that's what Paul's saying. He's saying that all of life makes sense because of Jesus who strengthens him. In fact he says it even dr- more dramatically than that In back in chapter 1 just a, just a quick sentence chapter 1 verse 21 up on the wall this one will come click it for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What? it's all about being centered in and around Jesus look at those powerful words to live is Jesus and to die I even get closer sooner so he's in the middle of some conflict with people who want to say this guy Paul he's not for real and he always says things like this in response to him oh it's okay they can say what they want to in fact what Paul is saying is Whoever doesn't agree with me, let them talk. But here is the center of it. I can do this. We'll get through it. We're going to make it. Why? Because it's Jesus Christ who's taken up residence inside of us. us. He's the one. Jesus is the one who makes it happen. And if if they're going to execute me, he's saying. He said, whatever happens to me in this circumstance of being incarcerated, what he's saying was, what's happened to me, two things have happened. Here I am in jail. They might kill me. To die is gain. But if I keep living, we can keep doing this advance the cause thing, and I, that's awesome also. And he's saying, in fact, the very fact that I'm in prison, the people around me are hearing about Jesus. The guys who are incarcerating Paul in Ephesus are listening to what he's talking about. And the rumor has gotten out that the jailers in Ephesus are, some of them are becoming followers of Jesus. That word gets all the way back a couple of hundred miles to Philippi and bolsters their confidence. Doesn't it fire you up when you see somebody really get knocked in the teeth and they just plow through it for all the right reasons? And that's what's happening. These Philippian people are feeling encouraged because it's not easy for them. And Paul's telling them, well, these people who got me locked up, I'm telling about Jesus, and some of them are becoming brothers. And it just fires up the Philippians to keep at it. One of the things about contentment that I thought was really helpful for us to talk about one of the things about contentment is this. Let's talk about what we mean with contentment. And I, I want to suggest that contentment for human beings is about five things. You, you might have different things you'd add to the list, but let me suggest to you what those five things are. Contentment, having a sense of, of goodness about life. Five things. Faith. Relationships. Our work, or you could call it vocation. Our health, physical health and finances. How's that? Pretty good list. That's a comprehensive list. And we could all start thinking right now about our own lives and think, okay, how's it going? In faith, how am I relating to God and to God's people? Relationships, friends, family, marriage, children, parents, whatever. Relationships with people I care about, the people I have fun with and recreate with. Relationships. It's a part of having a flourishing life. Faith helps, when faith is good, when faith is authentic and real, life flourishes. Relationships are honest and good and helpful and mostly reconciled. Yeah, life flourishes. And then we have some kind of way of earning a a job, a vocation. And somehow if we're lucky enough to have our vocation be something that we feel like really is something that's true to who we are, and we're making a difference in our job that we think matters, and so th- that's sort of what I mean by, vac- by, by vocation. And then we think about physical health and it's, it's great to feel healthy. Brady, look at him, he's an old man throwing a football around with 22 year olds. So he enjoys that and, that's, that's a, and physical health matters a lot and if your health isn't good it, it's difficult. And we pray regularly for people whose health is a challenge for them. And then the fifth one I said was finances. And what we mean by that is just can we keep up with it all? And we don't want to talk about do, do I wish I had more because every single one of us has somebody just ahead of us a little bit and we think, well, if I had that, I'd be okay. So there's the, there's the contentment rub. But those five areas, we think of that as contentment. And so Paul is saying, but I don't have anything to eat, but I'm content. I've had plenty to eat and I was content and I have hadn't had enough to eat. And so I, I want us to wrestle with contentment because, see, God didn't make us to flourish with all those things only to trick us and say, I'm not going to let you have any of it. Just because I'm mean. That's not God's not mad at us. And God didn't make us human beings where we flourish with those elements of our lives doing well. The question is, am I the end? Am I the project? Am I the purpose? Am I the center of these things? And I think the answer is no. So if I'm a flourishing human being, one of the things I can do is help other human beings flourish. Oh, then my flourishing really starts to make a difference. Because see, then I've gotten myself off the center of things. I'm no longer the center of my universe. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain, says Paul. And what he means is I'm engaging in ways that all that I am are making a difference for somebody else. Did you hear Kathy mention the sex trade traffic on Dale Mabry? up near the stadium. Did y'all hear her say that when she was praying? She prayed because you know why? Because Kathy and several of the teammates who are a part of this ministry called Created, it's a ministry to women in Tampa trapped in the sex trade. They were out, this team was, of church planting missionaries. They're the goats because they were out there last night. She was at 2001 Space Odyssey last night, Kathy Connor was, not working I can't tell if you're laughing at home, but you can laugh. It's really not funny. She was in the parking lot. They didn't go inside. It's COVID. They've been inside all of them. But because of COVID, you can't go inside. And they went to, They had a team meeting beforehand at the, at the campus of Created, and then they went out. It's the opposite of flourishing to be trapped. But there they were. She left our house at 9.30 last night. I was long asleep when she got back. And several folks in this church, along with other churches, are part of, as volunteers in this outreach. And so there's flourishing people trying to do something so that people that are, the, that are trapped can break free from the slavery of that industry. And Paul would have got it. Because, see, to live is Christ and where would Jesus be out there where they're hurting like that he'd be in the parking lot with them and he'd be reaching out trying to extend a hand to a woman who was trapped it's really complicated because the owners of these places say that their women aren't women who are being trafficked what what is that how twisted has it gotten that the owners of those clubs say their women aren't trapped trafficked We have to do something about flourishing, yes, but it's not about us. And so with our with our faith and with our relationships and with our vocation and with our health and with our with money, yes, God wants us to flourish. But it's not so that it's not all of the universe is directed so that I can flourish. But that's how we get I get duped into thinking the point of life is somehow for me not to feel discomfort. That's not the point. The point is to be running with Paul to use all this flourish to make a difference, it's forever, it's a forever difference. That's That's what Paul wanted to do, you couldn't stop him. No, contentment. You know who gets it? A couple of you are sitting in the room right now, you gentlemen that went to the Jesuit high school, you know what their motto is? Somebody yell it out, Lincoln Tamayo, proud graduate, Jesuit. Men for others. You wander around in that place and see if you don't see flourishing. Talent, capability, skill, athleticism, health, vigor, and if they get it, and Lincoln does, then the flourishing becomes something that God uses for others. And that's what Paul is saying. He's going to say it throughout the book of Philippians. Spoiler alert, Next week, I'm going to do chapter 2, the first 11 verses, and oh, he's all about it. He's all about how can I go and be for them. It's fantastic. Can't wait to tell you about it. But that's then. Come back. Come back. Tune it back on. I'm not the center of the universe. You're not the center of the universe. The universe is centered around the almighty God who made it, who wants us all to flourish but my flourishing doesn't come to me because I want go after everything for myself. By the grace of God, we have what we have, and when we are allowing ourselves to know that we get through it because of Christ who strengthens us, when we begin to see that for me to live as Jesus and to die is just even better, when we begin to see that, then God has a tool that God will use, and God will put us on the team with the goat, and we'll be out there, and we'll be loving people really well. I want to ask you to do two things. I want to ask you to do two things right now. And this is to to make some use of what I've been saying. I want you to make a promise to yourself right now that a bunch of times, at least two, maybe three, you're going to read out loud Philippians chapter 1. It's 30 verses. That's all. 30 verses. You can read it in a couple of minutes, literally. And chapter 2 through verse 11 so Philippians chapter 1 1 through 30 and Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 through 11 it's paragraphed. you can pull out your Bible right now go to Version, or go to whatever you use or get your hard copy Bible at home and read it out loud in fact as I said already read it out loud with somebody else read it to your kid get your kid to read it to you read it to your husband or your wife read it to whoever read it to your dog But read it out loud. And why are we saying that? Because our eyes see the words and our ears hear the words and more of it will take you. Just me standing here saying over and over again, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I see the words here and because I'm working from Greek, I can see in my mind the Greek text. It's just sinking into me. To live is Christ. Yeah, that's the secret. Because remember the question is, how do we have real contentment? It's because we have real, authentic, genuine relationship with God and God's people. And then our lives are truly, genuinely transformed. And we become tools that Jesus can use. Number one, I want you to make a promise. And if you forgot, the, the chapter one, just read it. It's a chapter one. You can remember that. Philippians chapter one. And sneak ahead to chapter two also. Out loud, several times. It won't take long. If you say you don't have time, do not speak to me. (laughs) The second thing I want you to do is come to this table in a slightly different way this morning. So I'm going to step down to the table and remind us of a few things. This is about the great rift between us and God. It's the rift that happens and happened when we said, oh, yeah, the universe is about me. It's the rift that happens when we said, I'm the center of things. It's my project, life is. And what this is saying is, oh, it's God's project. God loves me and God is for you. But it's not about us. It's about the king. And that's what this means. The Jesuits at that high school up the road near that stadium, that one we're playing in tonight, y'all remember that? Jesuit high school right up the road on Himes, you know, right there. They said men for others. You know what Jesus said? The Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Mark chapter 10, verse 45 Friends, come differently to this table. Come and eat Jesus' body and drink his blood. And what you're saying is, oh yeah, I get it. Contentment is not in me. It's in you. To live is Jesus. And to die is to gain. Be united with Jesus Christ in this meal. And in so doing, join Jesus' servants in this great and fantastic project, which is God's, to love all people back to himself. Just a little bit of housekeeping, you're going to come and take one of these, on the small side is the bread, we'll all take one, the ushers are going to call you forward, and then when everyone has it back at their seats, I'm going to remind us of the meaning of the bread, and we'll all do the bread, and then we'll flip it over and take the juice. There are little gray bowls on the floor underneath you so you can deposit the trash When you're finished. Friends, the gift of life. Come now and discover for yourself genuine contentment. To live is Jesus and to die is gain. So everyone ooh, everyone at home and everyone in the room, now we'll take the bread and I'll say these words to remind us. This is the body of Jesus broken for you and for me that we might live again. one at home as well as everybody in the room. Now we turn the cup over and as we open it, I'll remind us that this is the blood of Jesus. To live is Jesus, to die is gain. I'm gonna pray for us and I want you to know that I'm borrowing from the goat, the Apostle Paul. This is Philippians chapter one, which you're gonna read aloud together later. This is verses nine, 10, and 11. This is Paul's prayer for his friends in Philippi. And it's also Paul's prayer for you and for me. It's our prayer for each other. Listen to these unbelievably rich words as a way of being prayed for. And this is my prayer That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and in depth of insight so that you might be able to discern what's best and that you might be able to be pure for the day of Jesus so that you might be filled with the fruit of right living that comes through Jesus Christ. All of this to the praise and glory of God. That is our prayer. My good friends, stand now and let's sing these couple of verses as we leave this place as brand new people ready to go out there and live a life of flourishing love.